And if you have your Bibles, if you'll join me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to walk through the first seven verses of John 14, walking through the Gospel of John. And, and uh, Noah, thanks so much for sharing, buddy. Thank you so much. And for all the middle schoolers who served over spring break, uh, thrilled to, to hear how the Lord used you. And as you're turning to John 14, our theme this morning around the Word is resolved faith in desperate times. Resolved faith in desperate times. Um, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think back in your experience up to this point of your life. Um, All of us have experienced uh, high highs, low lows, everywhere in between. But I want you to think back, reflect back on what in your heart, mine was your most desperate time. I want you to think about that most desperate time. Uh, a desperate time can be described as those, those moments that either seem too big or too overwhelming to even discern or see a way through it or around it. It just seems so big. I, I, I'm thinking it probably did not take you very long to pinpoint that, that moment. As Thursday night and those storms came across, uh, I had no idea until actually yesterday. Uh, we were having a, a work day here and so grateful for all those who came to serve. And, and, and it was through that we just began to share just some of those stories that were coming in from the storms. And, and of course, went home and, and just learned and, and saw, as many of you all did, the pictures, the articles, the news reports of the devastation that tore through. And as I thought about what maybe many of them are walking through in light of even this question that we're asking, that for that question, when's your most desperate hour for some of them? It's right now. It's right now. We, there are, I have a, a photo that I want to share. There were obviously so many pictures that, that came up and across uh, our feeds. Uh, but this Lady specifically, Ms. Wander, she's there with her one-year-old grandchild and she's looking at what is her mother's home, or at least what used to be her home. And this is what so many thousands of people are, are woke up to yesterday, continuing to process today, and, and even many of you, you know, you have family members, you have friends who are in the path, and, and, and so we see this devastation and we see this despair and yet for you maybe for you it you haven't maybe experienced a a storm or maybe you've woken up to to your home looking like this but if we could see your heart and your mind after whatever uh whatever time of despair that was for you you would probably say it feels like this you're just trying to make sense of 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 what is happening, and I think of the shock, I think of panic, I think of anxiety, I think of fear, I think of just exhaustion just from being in that place. And, and as we look towards the Word today, uh, I believe the Lord will share what I believe is just a very comforting message to His church in light of this, because when we see photos like we just saw, or we see 
reports or even just in our own lives, we see those broken areas and those broken places. It reminds us that we do live in this broken world, but we also know as believers that the very best is yet to come. And though at times it may be hard to see around and through this moment or event of despair, the truth is is that God's grace will give the grace and the strength and that there is, uh, there is good news that is coming. And so the main idea of our message today is that Jesus comforts His disciples with the assurance that they will spend eternity with Him. Jesus comforts His disciples. Words of comfort. You've been there. Somebody, God laid it on somebody's heart. Maybe it's a friend or a family member. You're in this desperate moment. Somebody comes. Somebody sees. And they see the trouble in your eyes. Or they see the trouble that you've walked through. And they, they're there to speak into your life. And maybe even sometimes it's not even speaking. It's just being there. Just being present. And in this upper room where we are looking at John 14, it is a desperate hour. It's a very unique hour. The disciples are, are hurting, yet not in a, the, the fullest sense because they're just processing all that's going on. I mean, just think about what happened just a few days ago from Thursday night of the upper room where we're reading. I mean, Christ entered in on, uh, on a donkey, and there's thousands that are shouting Hosanna, and they're praising Him, and yet, just a matter of days, now people are shouting, crucify Him, and, and He's cleaned out the, the temple. It's to be a house of prayer. It was turned into something it was never made to be. Uh, there's a plot, a murder plot, that's being carried out behind the scenes. There's all these things that are going on, and these disciples have to be confused. I think there's times where we read the Bible, at least for me, at least growing up, and I'm like, wow, the disciples had it all together. They must have just like really like had this super just devout faith and nothing ever shook them or rattled them. But what we see is uh, they're people just like us and, and they are processing things just like we do. And they're processing this, this, this Christ leaving them physically. And what does that mean? And what does that look like. And so they're perhaps confused, they're perhaps anxious, and no doubt what has happened up to verse 1 of 14 that we're about to read has only fed their emotional kind of turmoil or unrest. Why? Because for starters, there is this final meal that they're sharing. He's ending Passover. He's instituting what we celebrate as the Lord's Supper. And as the disciples there, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And they're probably sitting there waiting, looking like, okay, it's, it's practice to have your feet washed before the meal. And they're looking around like, who's going to do this? Uh, where's the servant at that's going to serve? And what does Jesus do? He steps away from the table. He has a towel wrapped around his waist. He has a bowl of water. And he just goes disciple after disciple. And he washes their feet. Not only that, but if we just remember who Jesus washed, Judas was one of those twelve that He washes completely. He's omniscient, so He knows everything. He knows everything that's going on. And so even with that, like Christ is serving and loving this disciple whose heart is so far from Him. And then not only that, in that moment, Jesus even tells to the twelve that are there. He's like, one of you is going to betray me. 
And they're just, they're, they're shocked. They're trying to figure out, what? What? What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, Judas wasn't just the one that popped in their mind like, yeah, it's got to be Judas. No, he, he had the whole outside behavior thing pat all the while his heart was far from God. And Peter whispers to John, hey, ask him who it is. And then John talks to Jesus and it's the one that he would dip the morsel in and give. And ultimately we know that that's Judas. And so Judas has now left the room and now it's the 11 disciples. And now if you're looking at the disciples and maybe even in your experience, we look at Peter as this strong, bold, courageous, sometimes has a foot-shaped mouth leader of the disciples. And, and he's the, the boldest, strongest, and most courageous of all. And, and he tells Jesus, like, you know, I'll, I'll follow you to my death. And, and Jesus says, no, you're, you are going to deny me three times. And a rooster is going to crow. So there's just this, this dynamic in that upper room. It's like, what, what is happening? And, and for Jesus, in the midst of all of this, He knows everything. Just as He knows our hearts and our minds and our anxieties and our worries. And He understands those moments. And, and with that, He could see into their eyes. And what verse 1, as we'll see in a moment, will just say, troubled. And isn't it amazing that you don't have to say a word and yet you can look into the eyes of somebody else and you can see when there's a troubled, emotion-sense place somebody's walking through. You can just see it. Those even just that, that added discernment, when you're, when you're in contact with that, you, you even can feel it. Um, all of us know, whether it's your spouse, you look into their eyes, you can see if it's been a good day, you can see if it's been a hard day. You like I can come home from work and I can look into the eyes of my kids and I can tell if it's been a good day or if it's been a tough day. We can go uh, with our coworkers and just even walk in the room and it doesn't take long before you just look to one another and you can just tell you can just tell if there's been a uh, if they're walking through what we would call trouble. And so Jesus sees their eyes and he sees they are troubled. In John 14 verse one, Jesus says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. To which I'm almost tempted just to stay right here because this is so, such a, a comforting word from Christ because He sees the trouble. He sees your trouble. He sees what you're walking through, what you're experiencing. He's sensitive to that. We see that word troubled. If we were to unpack the word it's actually like a word picture that speaks of a raging, uh, a raging storm. Have you seen pictures of the of a? Have you ever been on open water during a storm? Have you seen videos of hurricanes kind of tearing through the Gulf or 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 the ocean or those that like just the wind, the waves, the swells? They almost just seem overwhelming. That's the picture of the word troubled. He could see in their eyes and he could see there is a swell that is going on inside their hearts and their minds. He sees it in their eyes and this is how they felt. It was a desperate feeling and with just a word, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. That there's no need to be troubled. There's no need to be stressed out. 
And he, in a very loving way, is actually commanding his followers to stop troubling themselves. So how does faith hold up when you're there? I mean, all of us have walked through those moments. How do you have a resolved faith when you are in a desperate hour? I was reading just in my, just in my, in my, in my, my Bible time with the Lord. I'm, I'm taking a slow uh, read through of the Old Testament uh, this year and just kind of just taking it a little bit as I go. And just this week, earlier this week, I was reading over in Exodus chapter 6, and if, I won't go through all the details, but the story is God's called Moses to go down to Egypt, go before Pharaoh, say free God's people, and, and, and that he would set them free. But if you're familiar with the story, Pharaoh is not so fast to let the people of Israel go. Matter of fact, he actually made it harder for them. He, 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 he cranked up the, the toil and the, and the, and the work and the... And it's just like an impossible job. And so there's a verse, and I wrote it down. It's, it's Exodus 6, verse 9. But here's, here's what the Bible says. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and this is just after he's visited with Pharaoh, and it's just after Pharaoh has like turned up the persecution on the people. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen. And they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. So in other words, the, the people of God were in this place that was in such a, 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 a season of despair that it was even hard for him to hear the promises of God. And that even for us, we look back and we see what's happening. And we're just like, hey, hold on, y'all. Like in just a minute... You're going you're gonna to walk across a sea on dry land. Like, you're not even going to have to worry about food because wonder bread from heaven, like the real wonder bread, is going to fall down. Like, you're going to have a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud by day. Like, you just, like, just hang in there. Hang in there. But for them, they're like, they can't see around it because it's so harsh and so heavy right now. But just because they feel this, and even said this, doesn't change the fact that God will show Himself faithful and He will lead them and He will guide them. He goes on to say, He follows this command with a promise. And so I want us to see how do we have this resolved faith in a desperate hour. Uh, and the first is that we, because of the character of God, just kind of simply put, because of who God is. Because who God is, what does He say? Let not your hearts be troubled. Then He says, believe in God, believe also in Me. The first was a command, this is actually a command too. Believe in God, believe also in Me. This is an unmistakable uh, teaching moment for Jesus once again to just further drive home the truth that Jesus is God. That He is God. He is compelling, in a compelling way, helping them to understand that He is God and His character can be trusted. From the very beginning of John chapter 1, this Gospel, the Holy Spirit through the disciple John writing this account, writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Go down a little bit further, 
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. And all through this adventure with the disciples, time after time, He has made manifest, made clear and obvious the reality that He is God. And so Jesus is telling them He's God. He's placing Himself as co-equal with the Father and that He is to be the object of their focus in this time. To which I think that absolutely applies to us. When we are in the troubled moment and we're in the, in the desperate hour, our focus can, can be on any number of things. But what Jesus is, is, is inviting us into is to focus on me. Believe in God, believe also in me. And for the Jews, all these disciples are Jews, so they grew up in Jewish homes. They grew up where believing in God and trusting God was the norm. I mean, even uh, in the morning and when they go to bed, they're reciting the same prayer at night. Deuteronomy 6, 4. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, that even they look to, the, to Abraham, Father Abraham, who had many sons. In Genesis 15, 6, it says, And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Even the great King David that in Psalm 25, verses 1 and 2 says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, in you I trust. And so they had this like kind of upbringing of you can trust God no matter what. And to which many of you perhaps have grown up in a home where there was this poured into you, this you can trust God, you can believe in God no matter what. For some of you, I know we have first generation Christians in the room right now, you didn't have that, that, that kind of like that, that raising up. But yet, as you read the word, you see God's word and this good news, like you're reminded that like you can trust God because he's trustworthy and he's faithful and he's good. And even for them, they could look back at even some of those moments and events that I had shared and see the faithfulness of God through every single step that though they couldn't see because they were in such a desperate hour, the reality was in just a short time, they're walking across on dry ground. God is gifting them with His Word, His law, and He's with them and He's guiding them. And over the journey gives victory after victory after victory, even as Christ has come in the fullness of God, God Himself, He has come and He's, he's guiding them and He's shepherding them and and they've seen Him multiply loaves and fishes. They've seen Him walk on water. They've seen Him talk to wind and waves. And they do what they, it does what they tell Him to. Like he, They do what He tells them to. Uh, like he just, he, he, he's, he's, he's the Almighty. And He's saying, He's like, listen, I see the trouble. I see the trouble. Believe in God. Believe also in me. God is powerful. He's mighty. He's everywhere. He knows everything. He can do everything. And He's so very faithful. And Jesus is inviting them to this ongoing trust in Him because He is God. You've trusted Him growing up. But all of us know, I think Adrian Rogers, who was a longtime pastor, I know I probably don't have to say who that was, especially in this area, but a longtime faithful pastor, one of my heroes in the faith. And I, I remember uh, him saying that a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And, and with that, what we see is the disciples are about to go through a crucible of testing of their faith and trust in God. But the best, again, is yet to come. And so how do we have this resolved faith? We turn our eyes from the circumstance 
and we turn to Christ and His character. Because He is eternal and He is unchanging and He is ever wise and He is powerful and He is holy and He is love and He is just and He is merciful and He's graceful and He's all-knowing and He's all-powerful. He's faithful. Those things that even from your words uh, you spoke out. It's a song that we just sang. It's like, this is who He is so we can Trust Him. He's helping His disciples. And so He helps them because of His character. Believe in God, believe also in Me. But He doesn't stop there. He goes right into continued teaching. And so we see because of the character of God and because of His promises, we can have a resolved faith. Now this is not going to be like, not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but I'm just going to throw a question out there. Okay, How many of you have not kept a promise that you made? Okay, I still kind of saw hands. <laughs> uh, and then those are like, you know, okay, like, you know, it's happened somewhere along the way, right? Made this promise, but we just didn't follow through. Something happened out of our hands. Something came up. Like, we got all kinds of good reasons why our promises didn't fall through. But think about this. God has never not kept a promise. That He is faithful throughout generations. And He is going to comfort them with a promise in this desperate hour. In verse 2, He says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, trouble's happening. He sees it in their eyes. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You can trust my character. You can trust my character. But what does he do? He could have talked about anything. He could have talked about anything right then. But he chose in their desperation to talk about heaven. To turn their eyes to heaven. Why in the world would he do that? Could it be because trouble, praise God, is temporary? Think about it. There are two things that are eternal. Two things that are eternal. Everything else passes away. We kind of, in our 8 a.m. service, uh, just kind of walk through a few things. The car you rode in in, though you may love it, or maybe you're like, wow, I really need something else. It's not going to make, it's going to pass away. The chair you're in, I do hope it's comfortable. Like, it's, it's, it's not going to make it. Bricks and mortar are not going to make it. My brother Scott is back there running that sound machine. Uh, the sound and, and, and technology equipment, guess what? It's going to rust out. Like it, there's two things. People and the Word of God. The souls of people and the Word of God. Two things that will outlast anyone. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus points them towards heaven. He talks about heaven, God in His Word, somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 times. Now, if something's important to you, I mean, you might say it once, twice, three. Uh, some of us might be like on time 700, right? Because whatever it is we're saying, it's so important. Jesus is wanting us to understand this trouble is temporary. To turn our eyes toward heaven. 
Bible, again, speaks of heaven in other terms. He talks about as a country, a vast city, a kingdom, a paradise, a place of rest, free from the weariness of conflict and sin and temptation and the enemy and, and, and doctor visits and medications and procedures and, and rehab and, and all these different things. Like There's not going to be a need for any of that because He's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things new. And he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. And that would have connected with the, with the people, with the disciples he's talking about, because they're in patriarch land. Like, they understand what that looked like. For us, maybe a little bit, we might think more of like a, an apartment building, so to say, in kind of terms we know. But back in the day, they, these patriarchs had these sprawling tents. And, uh, and so they would just, when, when a family member was added, whether it's through marriage or, or a child, like, that, that patriarch would just add on another room and just keep on adding rooms. And the message Jesus is saying is there's room for you and there's room for all who repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Me. It's like this endless supply of room of those who will, by faith, accept Him. And the emphasis is on relationship. Think about it, in my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm telling you, this is true. This is the promise. This is what I want you to remember. It's going to be hard. There's going to be difficult times. You have no idea what's coming. But just know, just know, look towards heaven. Look towards heaven. Verse 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be. Also, if we just looked a little further before here, you would find Jesus multiple times telling them, listen, uh, where I'm going, you can't follow me right now, but you will be able to. So they're trying to process all of that. But what Jesus is telling them here is that he will return. He will return for them. This is a message for the church. Jesus is returning. He's going to return for his bride, the church. There will be a day of judgment that is coming. And there will be a time where He makes all things new. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, the Holy Spirit through Titus says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, here it is, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Church, this is great encouragement. Trouble is real. Despair is real. But just know Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. Look towards heaven. This is a broken place and broken things happen, but Christ is going to make all things new. And in verse 4, he says, and you know the way where I'm going. So he kind of wraps up his teaching moment. And you know, you know the way, you know the way to where I'm going. And I love verse, I'm so glad verse 5 is in the Bible, by the way. I love verse 5. Because Thomas speaks up. He said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> I, I love that about Thomas. Thomas is the one, he's going to say what everybody wishes they could say or felt comfortable enough to say. 
Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So Thomas is rattled. But Thomas gets a bad rep, a bad rap. Like, I, for many of you, if I just say the word something Thomas, he has a nickname. It's like a moniker that has followed his, his name all the way through the church age. Okay? Count of three, we'll just say it. It's something Thomas. One, two, three. Doubting Thomas. Like, what if that was your name? <laughs> That's how you're known for, like, your entire life. But, but no, like, be, like, like, Thomas was brave enough to say something. Like, he was brave enough to speak up. And, and I love, Jesus does not just shame him in front of the rest of the disciples. He doesn't say, Thomas, we need to have a word. Come over here and just, like, you know, give him a good, like, chewing out, and they say, okay, let's try this again. No, He meets Him with grace and truth. Jesus is grace and truth. And to which I would just say, I have had conversations with different people who, who have doubts, and with those doubts, they'll kind of feel, they'll feel like embarrassed, or they'll feel ashamed, and they feel like if they actually say the doubt that they have, that they're going to be judged for that, or other people would see them. And you just kind of hold on this doubt. So many, uh, so many uh, times over over the years, uh, whether it was in student ministry, a parent like having one of their their students are struggling with doubt, and and they're just fearful. To which I just quickly say, doubt is not an evil thing. And that is not a bad thing if doubt seek or, or compels us to seek truth. And, and that doubt could actually be the very thing that with an honest, sincere, seeking heart to know the truth will absolutely lead to this place where God will absolutely reveal Himself and His truth and will actually serve to further firm up their faith. And so in here, Jesus does not shame Thomas, but rather he says, verse 6, which for some people may be one of their favorite verses. For some, it might be one that you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that one before. Have you known that? It's in response to this moment that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, I am the way. Thomas, you want to know the way? I am the way. Jesus is the way. This is the sixth I am statement in the Gospel of John. Each one of those I am statements just further solidify. And affirm the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh. And it's in light of this, I even think about John. I, I, it's good to like kind of step away from the text, go up 40,000 foot, and just be reminded of why John even wrote this gospel in the first place, why God led him, why the Holy Spirit inspired him to this. John chapter 20, verse 31 says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So I love that here's the Holy Spirit kind of bringing this in light 
inviting the world who is living apart from Him into this life-giving relationship with Him. Jesus says, I'm the way. I want to ask a question. Maybe you've been there recently. Have you ever been to a place like you're looking for something, but you have zero idea where to go? <laughs> it's, a, it's not a great feeling. I have the feeling often. Um, recently had that feeling at Lowe's. Uh, and, and I know uh, what I'm going to get. And I go into Lowe's. And if you go into Lowe's or Home Depot, wherever, like you've been there, there's all kinds of good stuff in there, isn't there? And it can be almost like, where do I go? And so uh, I actually just happened, my bride and I happened to run into somebody that, that, that uh, as a, attends our church and they work there, which was awesome. It's like, oh, I know you. You know me. Can you help me? <laughs> you know, but, but here's the thing. I didn't have to say anything. Like, he probably just saw the looks in my eyes and were like, this guy needs help knowing where to go. But we walked in and his thing was, where do you need to go? What are you looking for? And in case you're wondering, it was, a, it was a, like a seal for our toilet or something like that. And, and, and so, uh, so I, I, I'm like, I need, I, need, I need this thing. And what does he say? He, did, he didn't say, uh, okay, good luck. <laughs> See ya. Uh, and he didn't say, uh, you know, it's somewhere over there, like, just go that direction, you'll run into it. No, you know what he said? He said, come with me. And he brought me, and he walked my bride and I, and he took us to down the store, he took us to the aisle, we took a left, we went down the aisle, and he went right to where it was, and he was like, this, this is what you're looking for. And to which I just said, thank you so much, <laughs> because I don't know, we'd probably still be there right now trying to find that little, that little thing. But... Here's why I say this. There are so many people in this world that are wandering. And they're trying to make sense of all of this. They're trying to make sense of the world and why it's broken. And they're trying to make sense of their purpose. And they're trying to make sense of their role. And they're trying to make sense of where they're, you know, what's on the other side of all of this. And I hope it just all works out. And maybe the good will outweigh the bad. And at the end of the day, like, it'll just all work. And, 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 and here is... God in His grace and His love, and He meets us where we are, and He says this, I am the way. We don't, you don't have to be confused about any of this. You don't have to wonder anymore. You can know that peace and lasting forgiveness and lasting satisfaction and eternal life in the Father's house are through me. I'm the only way. I'm the only way. And so I love this grace-filled picture of God pursuing His people in that relationship. And so as we reflect against this backdrop of despair, I, I was talking with somebody even before service, I don't, who knows what those disciples were feeling? I mean, but you've been there. You've been in that, I don't know what's happening or how all this is going to work, but there's God and He's present. And He's not distant, but He's near. The Word tells us He's near the brokenhearted and that He is there and we can find rest and hope by believing in Him and His character and the fact that His promises are rock solid. I think of like mountain climbers and, and, and like if you're climbing Everest and, and you see these guys on these kind of like, they're like on these ledges and they just like, they got like a spike, like one spike driven in the, into the rock and like their entire weight just kind of hangs on this spike while they're trying to get to like the next part. 
and, and in some ways, this is, I like kind of see this as someone in despair, but yet their life and weight are hanging on the character of God and the promises of God, and He will not let you go. And He will be faithful to give the grace and the strength to, by grace and His strength, put one foot in front of the next. And so, as we look at this desperate hour, and as you have been there, and you've you've experienced that and you may be there right now, may we be encouraged with the words of Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would not have told you I've prepared a place for you. I'm going to have you there with me forever and ever and ever. And He's pointing them to eternity with Him. And so be encouraged. The character of God. Be encouraged. The promises of God. And here is the great thing about storms is that they do not last forever. They do pass. They do move on. I had several people from Florida texting me uh, Saturday saying, are y'all okay? Did y'all make it through? And here's what I told them. I said, you would have no idea that this is the most absolute beautiful day. It's talking about the weather yesterday. Like you would have never known what happened just a few hours ago. Like it just swept in and swept out. Storms do pass. And yet for the believer, there is the hope and the comfort and the assurance that we will spend forever and ever Him where there is no more brokenness. And so if you're there, be encouraged in God's character and God's promise. It could be you're in a spot where everything's going pretty good right now. I mean, we're all walking through something. But it could be things are pretty good right now. May we intercede and pray for our our friends and family and the state and those who have been devastated. Many of us know just different situations people are walking through. Intercede and prayer. It's one of the greatest ministries of a Christian is to pray for others. And so pray and encourage one another. And then just that encouragement that if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, to know all of this is going to pass away soon. And have you made that decision for that most important relationship. And that is to surrender to King Jesus as Lord of all. And He will forgive you and grace you and bless you and give you that peace that passes all understanding. So let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your amazing grace. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your care. We thank You for Your character. God, we thank You for Your promises. Thank You that You're faithful to Your promises. God, thank You for loving us enough that You've given us Your Word to us. And in the midst of despair, we can trust You. And in the midst of despair, we can cling to Your promise. And in the midst of despair, we can know that though it may seem so big and so overwhelming, that it's hard to even see the way around. The reality is, is that in you and through you, the best really is yet to come. I know it's hard to see now, but God, I pray and we know, God, that we will spend forever and ever and ever with you in heaven. And what makes heaven heaven? It's you, our rescuer, our redeemer. God, we love you. So Father, I pray for the hurting heart 
I pray for the one walking through despair. I pray, God, for all of those who are trying to make sense of what has happened and processing through the shock. God, I pray you would use your church to minister to one another and give grace and love and care to one another. And Father, that that invitation is always there to the one who needs to begin that relationship with you. God, that today would be that day. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand as we uh, have a time of response. Pastors will be here to pray over you, for you. Uh, the altar is always open. And even if you have a, a friend nearby you just want to pray with, just to have a time of prayer. Uh, but let's respond to the Lord as He leads us today.